Well, this Christmas we're reminded that there is a song in the air. That something as special as the arrival of God's one and only Son inspires a song. In fact, I think more songs have been written about Christmas across the centuries than any other single event. So many pretty ones, beautiful ones. And uh, Away in a Manger is no exception. You know, we love to hear the kids sing it. and It has that kind of sweet and sentimental side that's, that's part of celebrating the Christmas season. But there's another side to that song. I mean, it's the reality of the fact that God chose to show up in a manger. I mean, a, a dirty, smelly feed trough. Anybody here ever been to a farm? Grow up on a farm? You know what those things are like? They are dirty. They smell. They got cow slobber on them. I mean, it, you know, it, it is not a pretty sight, right? And I'm sort of glad we clean it up and make it look nice. But the reality was that first Christmas was, was amazing. It was challenging and it wasn't pretty. It was smelly and dirty and raw and real. And I love that about Christmas. I love the fact that it, it wasn't just a fairy tale. It's not just a nice story. In fact, we have the scripture here. You can look at it on the screen from Luke chapter 2 that describes it. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Why? So they could be taxed. Anybody here like paying tax? I'm sorry, anybody? <laughs> you know, all the world should be taxed. They were taxing everyone. They wanted to make sure they got everybody counted so they could get more money, basically. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Why is that in there? Because when you tell a make-believe story, how does it start? Once upon a time. You know, no, no particular time, no, no particular place. It's just, we just made it up. But no, this isn't a made-up story. There was an emperor. There was a governor. It was a particular place. It really happened. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, a particular place, a tiny out-of-the-way backwater town in the middle of nowhere, Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David called what? Bethlehem, house of bread, the royal city. Because he was, of the, because he was descended from the house and family of David, when Nancy and I went to Israel, uh, our guide used to teach us uh, folk songs. And his favorite song was, Malek, uh, David, Malek Israel. And I was like, who? David, that's how they say that name, David. The most famous king in all of the history of God's people. But that was a thousand years before Christ. Uh, Bethlehem had sort of sunk into obscurity. You know, the big city was Jerusalem, the holy city, the center of attention, the center of power and influence, and God didn't choose that city. He chose the royal city. He chose Bethlehem. Because there was, okay, and he went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Not married, promised, sort of this this uh, betrothal thing we don't have anymore, but uh, 
Anybody ever been to a wedding where they have like two sets of vows? Will you or do you take this woman to be married? You know, and all that part. And then later on, you have the repeat after me vows. You know why there's two sets of vows? Because the first vows are the betrothal vows. They're the promise vows. We've just kind of scrunched it all together. We want to save time. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to wait a whole year between betrothal and marriage. So we put it all in one ceremony, but they did it the old-fashioned way, okay? They were betrothed. They were promised. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Swaddling clothes. Isn't that the old King James? Wrapped him in swaddling clothes. You know why they were swaddling? Because you had to unswaddle them every so often. You know what I mean? Like he was a real baby. He really cried. He, he really needed to be fed. He really needed to be changed. He, he was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, in the ancient Middle East, an inn was not, you know, wasn't a holiday inn. Or even a night's end. <laughs> uh, sometimes there was a place where travelers could stay. But remember, everyone had to go to their hometown. Everyone. So people from the entire region were uprooted, traveling, you know, at a time when they normally wouldn't expect it. So when they got to the town, every place was full, including whatever accommodation they called the inn. Uh, History tells us it probably wasn't a very nice place, but they couldn't even make that. (laughs) Why? I mean, if God could choose exactly the right girl, 15-year-old Mary with this pure heart and surrendered spirit, and exactly the right man to be the earthly father of Jesus, a godly man, a responsible man, the, the scripture says that he was given charge to name the child. What an honor. Joseph. God chose just the right parents at just the right place, Bethlehem, at just the right time, and they ended up in a manger. The only possible explanation I can think of was it was on purpose. There's no accident. God chose the manger because the thing I think of most is what a mess it must have been. It wasn't clean. It didn't smell nice. It It wasn't comfortable on purpose because here's what I know. My life isn't clean and perfect either. And neither is yours. And God is comfortable with our mess. I don't don't think he wants to leave it that way, but I think it's okay for us to start there because after all, it's the only place we've got. You know, Christmas, anybody know Christmas can be messy? I mean, you want it to be perfect, right? (laughs) You want the the perfect gourmet dinner. And you want the decor to make Martha Stewart jealous. (laughs) And you want the perfect present and and a wonderful family time. You want the teenagers to put down their cell phone long enough to look you in the eye. (laughs) You want the exiles, all the college students and young adults to come back home for Christmas and You want to have a great time and be comfortable together. You want Cousin Larry to stop being weird just for once. (laughs) And it doesn't always work that way. 
Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) It doesn't always work that way. And some people get really bent out of shape. You ever heard of the holiday blues? You know, my family, it wasn't, it wasn't as much fun as I wanted it. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't ideal. Jesus doesn't mind the mess. And it's ironic to me that at this holiday time, we try so hard to be happy. We want it to be so good that sometimes we just end up turning up the stress level. <laughs> I heard about the dad who this day had been just crazy at their house, you know, getting ready for Christmas and doing all this stuff. And um, there'd been some yelling over supper. And they, this little girl was getting ready for bed and she was kneeling beside the bed. The dad came in the room and he heard her praying. And she said, dear Jesus, forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. <laughs> I've been Christmas against, and I've Christmas against a few people because it just gets so, you know, it just keeps getting more and more and more intense. And I just want to say, it doesn't have to be anything more than who you are and who your family is. God loves you just the way you are. He may not want to leave you that way, but he's, he's comfortable with your life. The way it is, he's willing to come just the way you are. That's what the manger tells me. That's what the manger tells me. And I'm, you know, I'm just thinking about all of the stress and strain of this time of year, even out there in the world and also in here. Part of the problem, part of the reason that we get so tense and have so much conflict is because we're all broken people. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. We've turned everyone to our own way. We, we don't get it right all the time. We don't say the right thing. We don't do the right thing. Maybe we mean to or want to or wish we could, but we don't. And, and so the consequences, the evidence of my brokenness and my sin leaks out. And so people like us, we come to church and we want our church to be like the perfect Christmas card. You know, like the Christmas play. We want fresh hay in the manger. (laughs) We want all the poop scooped off the floor. You know what I'm saying? We don't want anybody to see the the mess or the the pain or or the wound or the brokenness of our lives. And so we come and we pretend and we go and we pretend and we're not changed. It's only when we let God see the real us, the wounded us, the disappointed us, that he can heal us, that he can forgive us. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Confess. It comes from Latin word con is with, fess is say. Say with. No No excuses. No pretending, no, no cleaning it up to make it look better. This is just who I am. I confess, I admit, I don't excuse myself, I don't blame anybody else. And I've been a pastor a long time now and I hear people say, well, pastor, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I've never, I've never robbed a bank and I've never killed anybody. Could anyone else agree with that here today? You've never robbed a bank and you've never, let's get that out of the way, okay? Uh, you're still a sinner <laughs> and so am I, right? And so am I. We have all all broken at least one of God's laws. 
Anybody here ever tell a lie? I think that one's unanimous, right? That's the truth about us, and we need forgiveness. And so we open it up, and we're honest, and we're who we really are, and we humble ourselves, and the Jesus Christ who came to this world in a manger and grew to be the one perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. God, love with skin on. He gave his life as the payment for my sins and yours. And when he rose from the grave on that first Easter, he validated that it was all true. That is the evidence, that is the proof that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and is. And he is here for us. Away in a manger. On purpose. So your life and my life are okay with him as a place to enter and then to transform. Will you pray? God, I thank you so much for the power and the beauty of the story, the real, true story of Christmas. I thank you today that it wasn't once upon a time. It was when there was a particular emperor and a particular governor in a particular town with a young peasant couple and a baby in a feed trough. And I pray that the Christ of Christmas will be born in us today in the real world of our real lives with our real pain and hurt and struggle and and disappointment. Lord, it's it's all open to you. We are yours. We want to be more like you. Lord, if there's anybody here who's feeling far from you, maybe we've been pretending too much for too long. We just admit it, God. We need you. And it may not be an absolutely uh, picture postcard Christmas at our house, but if you're in it, it'll be good. And I pray that every person, every family, every home represented in this congregation will let Jesus be born in us and live in us. Today, And all through this season. We love you because you loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.